Welcome to Army National Guard Combat Field Studies Digital Edition. Today you're here with Sergeant First Class Joshua Mann from the Ohio Army National Guard. And we'll be talking about the Ohio National Guard in the Battle for Manila and how 75 years ago they learned some valuable combat lessons for leaders of today. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Sergeant First Class Joshua Mann. I'm the historian for the Ohio Army National Guard. I'm a proud veteran of the 148th Infantry Regiment. Uh, served with the battalion for nine years, including uh, their uh, mobilization during Operation Noble Eagle uh, right after 9-11. Uh, and I've been uh, the historian role for the state uh, since 2004, full-time since 2005. Well, why don't you lay the, uh, the groundwork for us a little bit? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the the, uh, the Ohio Army National Guard of World War II and, and what the situation was like in February of 1945? The main unit of the Ohio National Guard at the uh, start of World War II was the 37th Division. Uh, the Buckeye Division was its nickname, uh, Ohio being the Buckeye State. for trained forces in the Pacific Theater to stop and deter the Japanese uh, movement. Sends the 37th to San Francisco in May of 1942, and in May of 1943, they go to Guadalcanal. In late 1944, everything sort of leads up to establishing the Philippines as that last jump-off point for the, the eventual attack on the main Japanese island. In October 1944, the first step to that is the invasion of uh, Leyte, and then in January of 1945, you have the 6th Army under General Walter Kruger. You have two corps consisting of four divisions, I Corps and the 14th Corps, of which the 37th was part of, landing on January 9th, 1945 at Lagayan Gulf, the same place the Japanese landed in 1941. You're saying they, they spent this time on Guadalcanal, which everybody always thinks is just a Marine Corps fight, and uh, you know did some island hopping before that. So. So once they get to the Philippines, once they, they push into that Gulf and they, they make it to Manila, you know, what, what kind of happens there? Yeah, so initially upon the landing, there's little enemy resistance. The Japanese forces on the island are commanded by General Yamashita. He feels he cannot adequately defend the island from the Americans. So his plan is to basically conduct a uh, defensive harassing effort against the Americans and delay MacArthur as long as he can and eventually withdraw into the northern part of Luzon, which is a very mountainous area, and conduct a guerrilla war, and hopefully keep MacArthur pinned down on Luzon, preventing him and, and those American forces there from eventually getting to the Japanese mainland. So when they land on January 9th, they basically land unopposed, and they spend the month of January driving down the Central Plains. A company commander in the 148th, Captain Sid Gookin from Company F described it to me by saying he had a map case full of maps and he would walk across two or three maps in a day. So that's how fast the, the regiment was moving. The 148th Infantry gets to the very edge of, of the outskirts of Manila on February 3rd. General MacArthur had a personal connection to uh, Manila. That was his goal, was to get there as quickly as possible from the time the 6th Army landed. And Colonel Lawrence White, who was the regimental commander, uh, reference in his memoirs that every time he, he sort of bumped into General MacArthur on their way down the Central Plains, MacArthur's last words were always, White, get to Manila, White, get to Manila. 
So on the night of February 3rd into the early morning of February the 4th, the 3rd Battalion of the Regiment leapfrogs the 1st and 2nd Battalions with the goal of get to Manila. They get to the last body of water before the northern suburbs, which is the Tulahan River. And of course the bridge is blown, so they're, as they're waiting for engineers to come forward to build them uh, away across the river, some soldier gets into a building that's on the bank there and comes to find out it's the abandoned Balintawak Beer Brewery. He fires into one of these vats, out comes cold beer. Uh, so as, as the soldiers would pass through, he would pull a helmet full of uh, cold beer. And there's uh, descriptions of the soldiers wading across the Tulahan River with their rifle and this helmet full of beer up over their head. As Colonel White was standing there, you know, sort of observing what was going on, uh, General Kruger, the 6th Army commander, shows up on the scene. General Kruger says to him, well, White, what do you think about these soldiers drinking a whole helmet full of beer and getting in a firefight, which was just going on on the other side of the river? And Colonel White said, well, sir, I don't know what to think of it, but I wouldn't like to try to stop it. And General Kruger said, neither would I. And jumped back in his Jeep and pulled away. So initially on, on February 4th, one of the objectives was to get to the Bilibid prison. Most of the military prisoners were American officers who were captured at the fall of Bataan. And so towards the end of February 4th, a squad led by Sergeant Rayford Anderson finally made it to Bilibid. The Japanese guards had abandoned it just hours before the Americans had, had gotten there and they were rescued. February 5th is when you have the beginning of the assault through Manila. Colonel White's attack plan was to bring two battalions abreast and attack towards the Pasig River. By this time, the 1st Cavalry Division on the regiment's left had already liberated Santo Tomas University, which had a number of civilian prisoners, American prisoners there as well. And so the all-out effort was to get to the Pasig River and get to the south side. So on February 5th, as the 3rd Battalion is attacking, Company K is in the lead for the battalion. Uh, attacking through the district of Manila, uh, known as Chinatown. And so when Company K was leading, the first platoon led by Lieutenant Van Pelt had come across an enemy strong point at an intersection, quickly bypassed it to continue their way to the Pasig River. And a follow-on platoon to mop up that area was led by Lieutenant Robert Viale. This pillbox, as he sort of surveyed the situation, he realized if he could get up in this building behind it onto the second floor, he could throw a grenade down onto the pillbox and neutralize it. So he took a number of men into this building. There was a Filipino family who was still occupying the room they were in, but all the windows were very, were very high and they were, they were small. They were up towards the ceiling. So he climbed up on this ladder and realized that he being left-handed had a better angle at the, the Japanese pillbox than his men did. He grabbed onto the grenade and as he started to go up the ladder, uh, the, the grenade got away from him and fell to the ground. So he jumped down very quickly grabbed the grenade, looked around, and realized that there was nowhere for him to throw this grenade and not possibly kill the civilians and his soldiers. So he took the grenade, put it into his stomach, and pushed himself into the corner of the room when the grenade went off. He died a few moments later and was eventually awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions to save his men and to save those uh, Filipino civilians. So the first platoon that was under Lieutenant Van Pelt that was still moving towards the Pasig River got right to the edge of the Jones Street Bridge, which was still intact. And, and Van Pelt sort of had this eerie feeling like this was no place for him or his men. And as they began to pull his men away from the foot of the bridge, the Japanese blew the bridge and, and the other series of bridges that crossed the Pasig River. So Lieutenant Van Pelt uh, needed to quickly pull his men back and during this whole time and during this fighting, 
Uh, you had a number of factors lead to the destruction of the Chinatown by fire. You had both American and Japanese forces firing mortar and artillery rounds at each other. You had a lot of frame buildings, wood buildings, uh, and homes down there. There was also reports of the Japanese having prepared demolitions and, and lighting buildings on fire. So all these things sort of come together to a point where you have this raging inferno that once was the Chinatown district in Manila. So Lieutenant Van Pelt, seeing that he needs to get back to safe lines, has this fire now surrounding him. And Captain Laban Nip, who is Company K's commander, basically ordered his men to fight their way through. You had the Japanese going to the south, you had the Americans coming to the north, fire all around them. And as Major Charles Henney, who was the battalion executive officer, describes it, you have an old fashioned Western shootout. Captain Nip gave all his BAR men to the company first sergeant Roy McMurray, basically said, shoot your way out. So first sergeant McMurray put all his BAR men in the front, put them on line and basically blasted their way out through. The remaining part of the third battalion who was watching this fire basically thought uh, Company K was lost until Major Henney describes it. He sees Company K coming out of what he thought was a solid wall of fire. And the battalion and the regiment stopped there basically to let the Chinatown fire burn out that night and before they continued the advance the next day. So on February 6th, they retake the land and, and through Chinatown in the northern part of the Pasig River. And on February 7th, Colonel White is given the order to relieve the 1st Cavalry Division at the Malacan Palace. The Malacan Palace was the Philippine Presidential Palace along the northern bank of the Pasig River. As Colonel White went down that afternoon to make his reconnaissance of the area and relieve the 1st Cav, General MacArthur showed up and asked Colonel White what he was doing. He explained to him, I'm you know, relieving the 1st Cavalry. They're going out about 20 miles outside of town to make a river crossing out there. And he said to him, but I don't understand why we don't make the river crossing right here. General MacArthur said, well, do you think you could? And, and he said, well, sir, you and I are standing on the bank of the river and no one's shooting at us. If I had some boats, I'd give it a shot. So they got some engineer assault boats, which were basically plywood assault boats with six paddles in them. And about three o'clock that afternoon of February 7th, the regiment made an amphibious assault to the southern side of the Pasig River. I Company went basically untouched. They made it across the river without a shot being fired at them. They were covered by some smoke. When L Company loaded, the second company to go across, and they got out past the breakwater, the smoke had lifted by this time, and the Japanese just lowered the boom on them. Uh, auto cannon, machine gun, mortars, artillery, field pieces, rifle, everything you can think of, they put down on that company. Roy McMurray said when you looked out across the river, it looked like rain out there, all the bullets hitting the water. Boats would disappear in the smoke and the splash. Men were using the butts of their rifles to paddle across the river. And when they did finally make it across, the engineers in the assault boats that were supposed to return with the boats to pick up K Company, the next company, they went forward with the company and, uh, and left the boats on the shore. So eventually they got some amphibious tractors, some alligators, and some more boats and got the rest of the battalion across. By nightfall, you had about a little more than half of the regiment across the river. You had a, a beachhead secure on the far side. And the next morning, the entire regiment was across and the 37th Division started pouring through that beachhead, which was established by the 148. This sort of starts the second phase of the Battle of Manila. If you think about it in three phases, you have the northern suburbs, the, the south of the Pasig River, and the final legislative area and, and Wallace Field area. So now the second phase is the fight through the Paco District, the Malade District, uh, on the south side of the Pasig River. General Beatler put two regiments uh, abreast, the 148 on the left, the 129th Infantry on the right, anchored along the Pasig River. 
and their objective was to swing south and southwest towards uh, Manila Harbor. Again, the Japanese had turned this urban area into a series of, of strong points, fortifications, minefield, barbed wire. Uh, they took rail cars and, and old abandoned vehicles and laid them across the street to stop tank traffic. And at all these points, they had pillboxes built with interlocking fields of fire to slow down the American advance. As the regiment and the division started pressing south, they also came across the many atrocities that the Japanese committed against the civilian Filipino population. And so on top of this fight and this urban battle, you have this mental strain of, of coming across these uh, absolute atrocities that the Japanese forces committed. The first sort of significant strong point for the regiment is at the Paco Railroad Station and two men in Company B, two BAR men, Cleto Rodriguez and John Reese Jr. took it upon themselves as, as their company, their platoon was stopped to advance with their BAR and engaged the enemy for about two and a half hours on their own, separated from the rest of the company. They destroyed a number of enemy machine guns. They killed about 80 enemy uh, soldiers. They stopped a number of reinforcements coming in for the enemy. And as time went on and as their ammunition got low, they began to work their way back towards the, the company lines. And in the act of reloading, uh, Private Reese was killed and uh, Private Rodriguez was able to make it back to the company. But for the heroic action, both Reese and Rodriguez were eventually awarded the Medal of Honor. Rodriguez is the only of the seven recipients in the 37th to receive the Medal of Honor during World War II. Uh, Rodriguez is the only one to not receive it posthumously. On their left, you have Company A attacking the Manila Gas Works. A platoon messenger in Company A, uh, PFC Joseph Sachetti, as assembles a litter team and runs back and forth evacuating wounded Americans. On his last trip, uh, he is wounded in the head by a shell fragment. He's still able to pick up the wounded soldier he was carrying, get him back to the American lines before he, he collapses and, and dies there. And, and uh, Sachetti is also awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions on that day. For the next about a week to 10 days, you have the, the regiment attacking towards the Manila Bay. The regiment uh, encounters their first sort of big building they encounter is uh, the Philippine General Hospital and the university area near the bay, in which the Japanese had turned a series of these buildings, which were bomb-proof, reinforced concrete, earthquake-proof. Uh, they had basically turned these into absolute buildings of destruction uh, for anyone that would try to assault the position. One of the things that General MacArthur didn't want to do was destroy Manila. That was his home before the war. He was, he was connected to it emotionally. So he wouldn't let uh, any aerial bombing occur. Uh, so finally, after a number of casualties were sustained, General Beatler and General Griswold basically begged him to allow them to use direct point-blank artillery on buildings that were known to be occupied by the enemy. Uh, and MacArthur reluctantly allowed that. And General Beatler was not afraid to use artillery to save, uh, you know, his Ohio boys, as he described them, his Buckeyes. So uh, anytime the regiment would attack a fortified position, they would, preparatory to that was a, a significant amount of uh, direct fire weapons and artillery before they would send in the assault force. Once they got in the building, were room to room, the Japanese would throw grenades down from higher floors. On top of that, you have civilian considerations. The Japanese had consolidated a lot of Filipino civilians in the, in the hospital, in the university area. And so to prevent a number of the civilian casualties, they had to take extra measures to, to prevent that. So all these things sort of 
come together into a very complex situation for uh, these Buckeye infantrymen. February 19th, the regiment finally gets sort of their first rest since uh, entering Manila on February 3rd, February 4th. I mean, are relieved by elements of the 1st Cavalry Division who, who finished the, the mop-up. And that kind of wraps up phase two, if you will, for the Battle of Manila for the 148. The third phase of the operation, which is the legislative buildings and, and the Wallace Field area, is ready to jump off by the end of February. You have the 145th and 129th Infantry of the 37th had taken by this time Intramuros and, and Fort Santiago on the right. On the left, a brigade from the 1st Cavalry Division, which was now attached to the uh, 37th, had uh, finished the mop-up in the, the Philippine General Hospital area, university area, and it was time to squeeze this last pocket of Japanese that uh, basically had fortified themselves into the last series of, of legislative buildings. So on February 26th, the 1st Battalion had been given orders to attack the legislative and finance buildings. Preparatory to the assault of the infantry uh, led by Company C, you know, they, they lined up every piece of ordnance uh, they had in the inventory and, and you know, churned the building into waste uh, and a pile of rubble before they sent the uh, infantry soldiers in. But there were still hardcore Japanese enemy soldiers in there that would not quit without putting up a fight to the last man. And so there were a number of times where a floor was secured and they would have to pull the men out while they put some more direct fire on it, and then send the men back in to secure the next floor. But it was a slugfest. It was very difficult fighting that the, the regiment took part in there in those last couple of days. The finance building uh, was assaulted on March 4th with the 1st and 3rd battalions of the regiment. And uh, uh, finally on May 2nd, Company C did secure the uh, finance building. And on March 4th, the 14th Corps declared Manila secure and the elimination of the final Japanese pocket in the Manila area. So there's two real uh, big lessons to be learned that can be applied to our soldiers today. The first is train as you fight. You know, Upon receiving the Luzon mission in late 1944, when the division was still on Bougainville, General Beetler engaged the division in an extensive training program that included the combined arms team, you know, tank, infantry, engineer, assaults of a fortified position, and employment of attached supporting weapons. Training was progressive and proceeded from squad to platoon to company to battalion with emphasis on small unit tactics. All training was conducted upon a realistic basis with live ammunition and every available weapon system. In the words of uh, Major Charles Henney, who was a, eventually a battalion commander in the regiment, he said the best training of the war was in Bougainville in preparation of Luzon. And the second, as I alluded to a little bit, you know, was the use of artillery and direct fire weapons. Unfortunately, the division and the regiment were, were one of the last to rotate home despite their, their record and their combat record and the amount of time they were overseas. And they did not sail back uh, to the United States until after Thanksgiving 1945. The 148th did receive the Presidential Unit Citation for their actions in Manila. And so the colors today display a streamer with the embroidered Luzon for that award. And today they remain the lone infantry battalion in the state of Ohio, the, the lone active infantry unit in the state. Well, outstanding. Thanks again, Sergeant Man. And if you're interested in uh, learning more about uh, Army National Guard history or learning more about the opportunities that the Army National Guard has for leader development, continue to follow us here, uh, the Leaders Recon podcast, or check out our ARNG leader development Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs>